Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Who are we as Americans? Americans really rip families apart and stick kids in detention centers, tents in the desert. That's what we're doing today. Thank you, Donald Trump. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Monday? Monday, June 18. Uh, welcome, welcome. To the Bill Press Show. Hope you had a great weekend and uh, enjoyed Father's Day and able to celebrate with your friends and your family. And now we go back into a very, very busy week. Hard to believe there'd be a week as busy, <coughs> pardon me, as last week. Uh, last week being the week uh, of the summit. Last week, last week being the week of Donald Trump uh, busting up the G7 as well. Last week, the week where Donald Trump came home and the administration really swings into full gear in its zero-tolerance policy down at the border, which no matter how hard they try to blame on Democrats is a result of the Trump administration only and the new policies of Jeff Sessions. Even getting a little bit of outrage from some Republicans on Congress who are still basically um, cowards about that, but a strong rebuke from a former first lady of the United States. And no, I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton. We'll get into that and a whole lot more. Look, lots to talk about today. Look forward to hearing from you on all the news of the day, especially this uh, incredible, this disastrous situation down at the border. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll dive right into it, but first... This is the full. All right, what's happening? What's happening? All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. It's Monday, so let's take a look at the box office. Disney's Disney Pixar, I should say, Incredibles two opened up this weekend, and it was not only a record-shattering opening for an animated film, but it finished with one of the top ten openings of all time for mm. any film of any genre. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it, they, you know how much money they pulled in the opening weekend? 
$180 million. Wow. $180 million for The Incredibles 2, which is funny because I sort of missed The Incredibles 1 opening. I wasn't a kid, and I wasn't quite old enough to get to appreciate the animated stuff that's happening now. But a lot of people are still sort of tapping into nostalgia and going yeah. back and saying it. $180 million is what it pulled in. Ocean's 8 brought in $19.5 million, and the R-rated comedy Tag brought in $14 million. Uh, by the way, the World Cup is going on right now. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of scores, but, but one big score Whoa. here. Mexico defeated the defending champions, Germany, in a huge World Cup opener. They were so excited in Mexico. They were so riled up, and they were so beside themselves that Mexico's Institute of Geological and Atmospheric Investigations, which tracks geological activity, reported that two sensors in Mexico City recorded seismic movement around the same time oh my God. that one of the players scored what would be the game-winning goal. What it is called an artificial earthquake. How about Fans that? Fans were cheering and screaming and stomping, stomping and carrying on so much. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they set off these seismic sensors to make it look like an earthquake had happened. Is that amazing? God, yeah. I hope fans in San Francisco never do that. <laughs> yeah. Another, yeah, that could be a real serious yeah, problem. Yeah, right. On the San Andreas Fault. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. yeah, exactly. By the way, have you ever seen one of these uh, bodies exhibits? One of these exhibits where they take these By people. By the way, they beat Germany, right? I mean, the Germany is the champions. defending champions. Defending champions, Germany. Yeah. yeah. That's what so have you ever been to one of these exhibits, bodies, where they take like human bodies and show you how they work? They got them all. Yeah, I went to one uh, in Arlington a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah. Well, they, it's, it's a touring exhibit. It's going on all over Pretty the place. Pretty gruesome. Well, they have a problem. People are stealing <laughs> toes. People are stealing toes. Because toes. it's just human bodies that are out there. People are just breaking the toes off and taking them home. Don't do that. Don't do that. I, oh, I get so ghoulish. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that yeah, just gross? Yeah. yeah, no thanks. I found it very interesting, but creepy. That yeah, whole yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. It's a day to be ashamed to be an American when you see what's happening down at the border, what we are doing to families. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show this Monday, Monday, June 18. Good to have you with us today as we reach out to you and greet you and join you coast to coast all over this great land of ours and around the globe, actually, as we're joining you online, on the radio, and on television. Good to see you today. Hope you had a great weekend. Happy Father's Day. Belated to all your dads out there. And uh, we uh, have a lot to talk about today. We're coming to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV and on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and out there in the greater Chicago area. Hello, 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 WCPT. You guys are looking good today uh, in Chicago. Boy, summer hit with a vengeance uh, here in Washington, D.C., and today is expected maybe to be uh, even hotter, but uh, we are into it. Uh, the swamp is living up to its uh, reputation in many ways, 
uh, both in terms of the heat, the humidity, and the swamp-like creatures that have crawled here into Washington under the uh, Trump administration. Uh, so many big stories. I've got a great lineup of guests. John Bennett covers the White House for Roll Call. He'll be joining us here in studio uh, about 20 minutes or so. Uh, Ryan Riley covers uh, the Department of Justice for HuffPost. Be joining us as well. And then uh, Pema Levy, political reporter for Mother Jones, will be along toward the uh, end of the program today. And, of course, the most important guest are you, all of you. So we want to hear from you and your comments on what's happening, particularly the situation at the border uh, with families. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, yes, indeed, it is uh, uh, just unbelievable that we as a nation uh, can tolerate even, let alone that the administration would do this, that the Americans wouldn't be rising up in arms against us. More and more people are, but it's still going on, and I'm talking about the policy under, this is under the zero-tolerance policy announced by Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, uh, directed by the White House and particularly by Donald Trump himself and Steve Miller, uh, the president's, uh, one of the president's top aides, particularly on the hard-ass person on immigration issues uh, that Jeff Sessions announcing in April, a couple of months ago, this zero-tolerance policy, as a result of which, putting it into place, we are literally ripping families apart, separating children from their parents at the border. I mean, who are we as a people to do this? You saw the picture I saw on the front page of one of the papers the other day. Here's this little, <coughs> pardon me, two-year-old girl standing there crying why her mother is being frisked and handcuffed by immigration authorities. Here's this story about this woman from Honduras who's breastfeeding her baby, and the baby is taken away from her. I mean, good God. And, uh, we, and now we've got some 2,000 kids separated from their parents, uh, have been kept in a abandoned Walmart uh, down near the in Brown down down near uh, Brownsville, Texas, and because that facility is getting uh, overcrowded, moving them to a tent to tents. This is like Joe Arpaio land uh, to tents in the desert. Well, with some uh, where they're putting uh, all their uh, young young boys. I mean, th- this, as so many people have said, right, this is echoes of the internment camps that we wrapped around, where we rounded up the Japanese in World War II, if not even worse than that. It is not who we are as Americans. And then Donald Trump just lies to his teeth, lying all the time, saying, oh, I hate this, I hate this, but the Democrats did it. They passed a law requiring this. No, no, no. That is a big Fat, ugly lie. There is no law requiring ripping families apart, separating families at the border. There is no law. Not passed by Democrats, not passed by Republicans. This is a result of the zero-tolerance policy. This George Bush didn't do this. Barack Obama didn't do this. This is new by the Trump administration. It just started. Again, it's Jeff Sessions the zero policy, which Steve Miller from the White House has been out there defending, announced in April 2018. So this is what they are doing, and it's disgusting, it's shameful, it is immoral. 
I'm going to read you just a couple of lines from uh, an, a very powerful op-ed yesterday in the Washington Post. And this was written by former First Lady Laura Bush. You know, the Bushes have been um, very quiet, really on the sidelines since they went back there. They almost never, former President George W. Bush, almost never heard from him during the Obama presidency. You know, he, he and we complimented him for that. Stayed on the sidelines and just kind of let Obama do his thing. Uh, first, while he's busy painting and other stuff, First Lady Laura Bush particularly staying on the sidelines. But this, she had to speak out. When on was this. the last time you heard Laura Bush? Laura make Bush a speak out on, on anything. On anything. No. Here's what she wrote in the Washington Post yesterday. It's worth it's worth really paying attention to. Quote: I live in a border state. I appreciate the need to enforce and protect our international boundaries, but this zero tolerance policy is cruel. It is immoral, and it breaks my heart. This zero tolerance policy. Again, whose is it? Donald Trump's. Jeff Sessions. No Democrats. Donald Trump, Jeff Sessions. First Lady continues, quote, Our government should not be in the business of warehousing children in converted box stores or making plans to place them in tent cities in the desert outside of El Paso. These images, she says, are eerily reminiscent of the Japanese-American internment camps of World War II now considered to have been one of the most shameful episodes in U.S. history. Absolutely. She continues, Americans pride ourselves on being a moral nation, on being the nation that sends humanitarian relief to places devastated by natural disasters or famine or war. We pride ourselves on believing that people should be seen for the content of their character, not the color of their skin. We pride ourselves on acceptance. If we are truly that country, then it is our obligation to reunite these detained children with their parents and to stop separating parents and children in the first place. Good for her. She says it so loud, so strong, and absolutely right on. And what, what do we hear down at the White House? From Donald Trump, from Steve Miller, from Jeff Sessions from Kelly Ann Conway, disgusting comments yesterday uh, on, I think it was on, yeah, on Meet the Press, um, that they have no choice. They're just enforcing the law. No, 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 I keep coming back to this. We have to keep telling people this. This is a Donald Trump administration policy. This is not the law. There is no law requiring the, the, the uh, border agents to rip families apart when they come across the border. There for, for, is no such law. It's a lie to say that there is. And and particularly agree just on that point. You're right. It's not a law. But what they tried to do on Friday or on Thursday, we talked about on Friday, is to try and hide behind the Bible to oh, justify yeah. 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 why they are doing mm-hmm. this. Because the Bible says you must enforce the law. Yeah. So they're lying about the law. Right. And then they're using the Bible to Romans, justify their life. Romans 13. Yeah. Romans 13, Jeff Sessions, right. The, the, by the way, on this point, they'll point out, Franklin Graham, and you know what I think about Franklin Graham, right? 
after Donald Trump, he's sort of number two on my hate list. But Franklin Graham on this one has broken with the Trump administration because he said this is cruel, this is immoral, this is wrong, should not be. Of course, you know, he's still supporting Donald Trump. But on this one policy and and this Romans 13, which Jeff Sessions evokes, has been used by dictators, thugs, killers, autocrats through the centuries. Slave owners. Most recently used in this country by slave owners to say, look, you know, Romans, the Bible says you got to obey any law, no matter how cruel, no matter how unjust, no matter how immoral, if the government does it, you have to obey it. Baloney. Baloney. Uh, there's lots of other stuff in the in the Bible to refute what's happening down at the at the border. Uh, just start reading the Gospels in the New Testament. Yeah, and forget about St. Paul and forget about Jeff Sessions. So as I said yesterday, here's it was Friday morning in that incredible gaggle that the president had with reporters uh, out on what we call Pebble Beach down at the White House, um, where he walked out surrounded by reporters. And among other things, uh, Donald Trump says, you know, I just hate this. I hate this. But again, you got to blame it on the Democrats. The children can be taken care of quickly, beautifully, and immediately. The Democrats forced that law upon our nation. I hate it. I hate to see separation of parents and children. Again, what do you what do you do when you're in the media and the president stands there and says a flat out lie? You know what? You just you tell people it's a flat out lie. I don't care who you are. I mean, this is not on the one hand, on the other hand. No, this is absolutely not true. It's his policy. He can't defend it, so he blames it on the Democrats. And then he says again, well, we could fix this if the Democrats would only pass a law. I don't want bad people coming in. I don't want drugs coming in. And we can solve that problem in one meeting. Tell the Democrats, your friends, to call me. Even, even Lindsey Graham, Republican senator from South Carolina, said, yeah, we could solve it, not just with one meeting. We could solve it. You, you, Donald Trump, could solve it with one phone call. President Trump could stop this policy with a phone call. He doesn't seem to acknowledge that. Well, well, he can't. I'll go tell him. If you don't like families being separated, you can tell DHS stop doing it. Um, pretty simple. Yeah, right? Stop doing it. It, it, it. It's, again, I don't know how many times we've said this. Donald Trump is saying the quiet part loud. When he talks about Democrats need to call me and we could fix this, mm-hmm. Democrats yeah. need to call me. What what he's saying there is if Democrats will cave to me on funding a wall and, and all the other terrible things that he's asking for on immigration, then we'll get something done about these kids being separated from their families. In other words, right. In other I'm words, going to hold these children exactly, hostage. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to kidnap these children and hold them hostage to get what I want. You know, you keep we keep asking ourselves. That's exactly what he's doing: using these kids as a bargaining chip to try to get full funding for the stupid wall, right? Uh, Amazing, un, un, unbelievable. And you can't. I don't think as disgusting as I mean, first of all, as immoral as this policy is, and as disgusting as Donald Trump just lie, lie, lying about. It. Oh, by the way, I just did a little tangent here. I read the I read the op-ed from. Um, First Lady, former First Lady, Laura Bush, which was kind of responded to yesterday by a tweet from current First Lady Melania Trump, who says, "Uh, both parties have to get together on this, and we have to be a country that governs from the heart. Yeah, well, tell your 
Tell your husband that, Governor from the. Tell your husband this is his policy. It's because of his orders that these kids are in this uh, in these detention centers or in these tent camps, in these internment camps. Uh, and then, yeah, I pulled up a different tweet. I a different. Oh. This this is from the Secretary of Department of of, of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen. Oh yeah, yeah. Who she denies that there's such a policy? She tweeted, she tweeted this yeah. afternoon. This is amazing that she would actually tweet this, but she says, uh, uh, DHS takes very seriously its duty to protect minors in our temporary custody from gangs, traffickers, criminals, and abuse. And echoing Sean Spicer here in another tweet, we do not have a policy of separating families at the border, period. Period, yeah. That well, is her tweet verbatim. Yeah, okay. Now, uh, compare that to a tweet from Steve Miller at the White House who's the president's main advisor on immigration issues, who says... Probably, and and what is, who is being credited as being the architect of the this The architect of this policy, plan, yeah. right? Uh, I don't know whether you have it there, but it, it's just kind of one-liner one, one that just says, this is the zero-tolerance policy of the Trump administration. Right? So they can't even get their, they can't even get their own story straight. Right. right. That's the problem. I mean, you've had so many different people say so many different things about this just that work for Trump. Trump hates to see children separated. Yeah. Well, he hates to see children separated. Jeff Sessions used his bi- the Bible right. and to defend it. Here's another one. The worst of all, as far as I'm concerned, first, the worst of all, Kellyanne Conway yesterday with Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. Oh, I'm a mother. Nobody likes this, but we're doing it anyway. This is a question of American you've heard morality. Me, you've heard me weigh in on that. I did. This is a question of American morality. As a morality. mother, as a Catholic, as somebody who has got a conscience and wouldn't say the junk that somebody said, uh, apparently, allegedly, I will tell you that nobody likes this policy. You saw the president on camera that he wants this to end, but everybody has... Congress he has to act. can end it Congress, on his own. What do you mean Congress has to act? No, Congress didn't act to do it. This is a total administration policy. This is Donald Trump, again, his attorney general, his aide, Steve Miller, who said this is what we're going to do, and they did it. Congress had no role to play in this. By the way, if Kellyanne Conway has a conscience, get the hell out of the White House. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, she, she, don't give me that crap, right? Not to mention, even if Congress did but, have to do something to make this happen, which we've established they do not, Right. even if they did, the Republicans have the majority. They're in charge. The Republicans have the majority. They're, they're in they're charge. In complete control. Yeah. Yeah. Which gets back to, okay, so as bad as these people in the White House are, where are the Republican Congress on this issue? What, how can they stand there and see what's going on and know it's know how wrong it is and, and, and hear First Lady Laura Bush and know how bad this is for, for our reputation around the world, not to mention just how immoral this practice is in and of itself. How can these Republicans just look the other way? Where the silence is deafening. Yeah, Paul Ryan says, oh, we don't want to see families separated from their, their kids separated from their parents. But then what does he do about it? Nothing. Where's Mitch McConnell? You heard a peep from Mitch McConnell? Okay, so big effing deal. Two Republican senators, Jeff Flake and uh, Susan Collins over the weekend wrote a letter saying, we want some answers from DHS on exactly what's going on. Now, you know what? The, 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 the Congress, as a body, should condemn this and immediately pass a law 
banning the practice. Now, Senator Dianne Feinstein has such a law introduced. I think she's introducing it today in the United States Senate. We'll see how it goes. I'll bet you Mitch McConnell won't even bring it up for a vote. There'll be a similar legislation, I know. Beto O'Rourke, who's running for Senate against Ted Cruz, he and some other Democrats are introducing that legislation in the House uh, legislation just simply to ban this ripping families apart. That's going to be introduced today. I'll bet you right now, I'll bet you $100, Paul Ryan will not bring it up for a vote. And th th those people, you know what? They're going to burn in hell for letting Donald Trump get away with this. And this is, this is a time, the one time, when they ought to have a little backbone, a little spine, and stand up and say, no, Mr. President, this is not who we are as Americans. We're not going to tolerate this. Uh, but they won't do it. So it goes on and on and on, and um, shameful. So, as I said earlier, and I, I really mean this, this is a day when we can all be, because of this, ashamed to be Americans. There are some other news uh, going on. Um, boy, it's hard to, <laughs> to spend any time talking about anything like that. It is so disgusting. But bringing up to date, I know you talked about this on, some, this on uh, Friday, uh, the Inspector General's report, long awaited, came out. This was sort of like, to me, it reminded me of the Devin Nunez memo and all the, like, all the anticipation of that. Oh, wait till this memo comes out, man. This is going to blow Robert Mueller right out of the water and just prove that the whole FBI investigation was nothing but a democratically inspired um, move to try to trap Donald Trump and prevent him become from, from becoming president. And then the IG report came out. What a giant nothing burger. But, of course, Donald Trump on Fox and Friends Friday morning out in front of the White House had to claim again that this report is exactly what it is not. The IG report totally exonerates. I mean, if you look at the results and if you look at the, the head investigator is saying we have to stop Trump from becoming president. Well, Trump became president. We have the best economy today we've ever had. <laughs> I know you've talked about this, but let me just say the, the IG report didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. What it said was James Comey violated the procedures of the Justice Department. How? By holding this news conference, um, exonerating and attacking Hillary Clinton at the same time in July, and then by reopening the investigation in October. And in so doing, he ended up hurting Hillary Clinton and helping Donald Trump because while they were, he was blabbing all about Hillary Clinton's investigation he didn't say anything about an investigation they were conducting at the same time about Donald Trump and his ties with the Russians. So basically, uh, again, just prove what we've been saying all along, that Donald Trump should be thanking the FBI for helping him get elected, not attacking the FBI. And on that front, how often does it happen that suddenly another Russian pops up, another Trump campaigner, having ties with, contacts with, meeting with Russians. Why? To get some help on the election campaign in 2016. And the latest is Roger Stone. I, who, I By the way, I can't believe it took us this long to find a meeting where Roger Stone, oh, oh. notorious for uh, yeah, dirty yeah. tricks, 
met I, with a Russian. I remember Roger Stone, we know, was in touch with WikiLeaks. Right. No, we know he talked to Julian Assange. Yes. We know he predicted that there were going to there's going to be some trouble for John Podesta two days before WikiLeaks releases the John Podesta emails. This guy is the ultimate dirty trickster. Uh, so he just happened to forget <laughs> when he testified in front of Congress. He just totally forgot. He denied any meeting with any Russian at all. And, and he's been out there saying this is a total witch hunt. This is all fabricated. Nothing actually happened. Then he suddenly remembered, oh, that's right. I did meet with a guy from Russia who was wearing a MAGA hat and a Donald Trump T-shirt. And this is what the guy uh, told Roger Stone. He told me he wanted to help Trump, that he attended these rallies. He really thought Trump's election was important. I said, fine. And then he said, I know where this information can be gotten, but it will cost you $2 million. And supposedly, Roger Stone told this guy, no, you don't know Donald Trump. He doesn't pay for anything. Mm, well, I don't know. He paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 to yeah, shut true. up. Right. He paid Karen McDougal $160,000 not to talk, though, to tell the truth. is. But again, this is an example. So, okay. Even if Roger Stone or Donald Trump didn't pay the $2 million, they didn't go along with it, it may not prove collusion, but it improves just like the meeting at Trump Tower in July 2016 that Donald Trump Jr. called. If they didn't collude, they were eager to collude. They were willing to collude. They were interested in colluding. Now, again, Roger Stone doesn't mention this at all when he testifies in front of Congress. Um... Might he be guilty of, when he said, I never met with any Russian, might he be guilty of perjury? Oh, no, says Roger. I don't think uh, a failure of memory constitutes perjury. My testimony before the committee, contrary to the partisan claims of some of its members, was entirely truthful. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so Roger Stone would never tell a lie. And according to Steve Bannon, according to Steve Bannon, neither would Donald Trump ever tell a lie. Uh, he was on with George Stephanopoulos, uh, George Stephanopoulos, except Jonathan Carl was filling in yesterday uh, on ABC. Uh, first of all, just going back to where we started, in terms of what's happening at the border today, Steve Bannon says... Separating these families, he's never been never been more proud of Donald Trump than he is with what he's doing down there. Donald Trump is accomplishing everything he committed to the American people on the campaign that I stepped in as CEO. I couldn't be prouder of the guy. Couldn't be prouder of the guy. Yeah, for what he's doing. Oh yeah, setting up these tent cities, amazing. Putting these kids in this in this box store, right? Oh yeah, couldn't be proud of him. And Jonathan Carl says, "Are you saying?" When and then since Donald Trump's blaming this on the Democrats, which is a lie, are you saying he says this? He been that that Donald Trump has never lied. Listen carefully. You say the president's never lied? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. <laughs> what about when he says that? Uh, uh, the, except, uh, when he call, except when he called me sloppy, Steve. I would argue that <laughs> that was one that of was the rare times he told the truth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I didn't see him on ABC. How was he dressed? 
uh, was disheveled. Disheveled? Yeah. yeah. Of course, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've got to take a quick break here. But as we do break, uh, I hope you noticed um, the big score in the congressional baseball game Thursday night. Uh-huh. Uh, Democrats 21, Republicans 5. I think that's a, a good sign for the uh, 2018 midterm elections. 21 to 5 there. All right. When we come back, John Bennett covers the White House. Well, all this stuff here um, for roll call. We'll take a quick break and be back and find out more about uh, what's going on down at the White House on this Monday, January, I mean, June 18. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep. Monday, June 18. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for joining us on a very busy, busy uh, work day and work week just starting out. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill, as you know, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, keeping America's federal agencies running and serving Americans proud to get up and work for America every day. Check out their website at afge.org. In studio with us, um, Covers the White House uh, for Roll Call, uh, doing a good job of it. John Friend, John Bennett, rather, a good friend. Hey, John, nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, at least Donald Trump's at 7.35 East Coast time. He's not out, so far as we know, on the front lawn of the White House answering questions this morning, right? Well, it's early yet. As yeah. we found out Friday, um, you know, he could tweet and be out there in 45 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> easy. Right. Easy, yeah, easy. The, just so. the Secret Service just needs a little time to, to clear Pennsylvania Avenue and, and Lafayette Park, and and, then, and and who knows. And then here he comes. Uh, right. Yeah, we've been uh, talking a lot about uh, this uh, zero-tolerance policy, uh, generating some comments here, Peter. Yes, indeed. Uh, Ivan on Twitter says zero-tolerance te- <laughs> zero equals zero-empathy, uh, sort of what you've been saying. Or zero uh, morality. Yeah. Robert Campbell says, Bill, you use the appropriate term for these term for these kids. They are hostages. Tom says, Jeff Sessions may have a Bible, but that doesn't make him a Christian. <laughs> and uh, uh, game over, just game over on Twitter, says the White House press corps needs to ask the same question over and over by every journalist there daily until the policy stops. If they do not, uh, then they are not doing their jobs. Find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. So, John, let me ask you, first of all, as a journalist, um, it does raise a question when the president of the United States comes out and says flat out what's happening at the board is the result of a law passed by Democrats. What's our obligation? Well, we have to go back and we have to look at how the existing laws got on the books. And no, I haven't and colleagues haven't. I, no one's really found anything to support what the pre, that the president's contention. These are that this is a democratic policy. Um, you know, immigration laws have passed over the years and kind of by the nature of vote counting and the numbers, bipartisan support. You've had presidents um, sign immigration laws and, you know, Congress was controlled at least one chamber by by the other party. So what the president is, you know, I was talking to a source the other day and said, you know, Donald Trump uh, only cares about he, he cares about politics first and only cares about policy as it relates to politics. He's not really into the policy part of all this. I thought that was an, an interesting as a Republican source. Um, 
and I, you, you kind of start to get that sense here where he's thinking um, if we can't pass something, we need, we need this as kind of ammunition in November's congressional elections. Whatever but, might come out of the House this week, is, is there's no evidence that it's going anywhere in the Senate. So this is purely kind of a political um, uh, maneuver that the Re- House Republicans are trying to go to. And now the president is going to looks like he's going to get very much involved. Yeah, but I'm, I'm coming back to a role as a journalist. Right. I mean, like uh, it, 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 not disagreeing with what you said, but, you know, our, uh, as a reporter, now look, I'm a commentator. I give my opinion. Now, right. I, I'm a different part of the journalistic right. world than you are. Uh, but as a reporter, uh, the reporter's job is to report the news, to tell the facts, right? Report. Right. So when the president comes out and says, oh, this is terrible, I hate this, but the Democrats made us do it, the reporters c- can't just, it seems to me, repeat that or report that without also reporting right. that that is not true. Right. I think it was that. Right. I think the the way the New York I think believe it was the New and York Times. And without being accused of being biased or taking sides, right. you have an obligation to say, to tell the truth, right? Yeah, I believe it was the New York Times on Friday <clears throat> said uh, the headline was, the president again falsely accuses Democrats of creating this law, which has led to uh, separating families. I think that's the way to do it. Pointed out high up in the story, pointed out in the headline, definitely in the lead. It, it's the facts. You have an obligation to report the facts and to do the research and also to, to question the president and question Sarah Sanders. It, there's no briefing on the schedule today. I saw. I assume. Right. I expect there there probably will be. Um, and I expect her to get this question to, to Sarah, show us where, show us the evidence to back up the president's claim that, that this is on the Democrats and not on his administration. I expect her to get that question over and over again. Now, whether she can provide that evidence or or, or will point us to something, you know, I, I have my doubts that there's anything there. No one's been able to find anything. Right. So you're there every day. I go now kind of occasionally. Uh, but you know what's going to happen as well as I. She'll get the question. She won't answer it. And she'll immediately move to the next person, and right. then the next person, and then the next person, and no follow-ups in attempt in an attempt never to have to answer that question. Right. Or she'll refer to DHS. Or refer to DHS, right. Over and over. Will the will the press corps stand united in in pushing her, not just one person, but you know, m- multiple voices, to to get an answer to that question? I believe so. Her last briefing, which uh, was Thursday of last week, yeah. Um, every question certainly not about this. There, there are other things, as you know, the last thirty minutes of your show, yeah, right, yeah, you know, showed. We, there's plenty we, of other ground to cover, but you know, I would think that you know this is the kind of day this has picked up enough steam, especially over the weekend. You've got Republican lawmakers coming out uh, saying the president needs to reverse this. It's it's just there's so much momentum here. This is the kind of day where I think at least half the questions mm-hmm. would be on this, One, and, and and we've we've seen that before with other things. Um, but you know, people are still going to ask about other things. They're working on other stories. Sure, they want to press her on that. But yeah, this is a day where I think the briefing would be mostly about this and what the administration is going to do, or what they're if they're just going to stand pat on this. Now, one of the things, for example, that we didn't get to in the last half hour, which is very important, that happened last week, and of course, this is the problem. This is both the, if you will, the good side and the bad side of the Trump administration. The good side for us in the news biz is 
there's never a dull day. That's there's right. so many, so much to talk about, right? Right. The bad side is there's so much that it everything gets in the way of everything else, right? Things Absolutely. that we should be spending a lot of time talking about and writing about, we don't have time because we're on to the next story. Right. Uh, so let's come back to tariffs. Is what we're doing. Okay. I mean, Thursday was it? The president slapped eight uh, tariffs on 818 products coming from China. Uh, are we in a trade war? Well, if you listen to a lot of economists, if you listen to especially Democratic lawmakers and some Republican lawmakers, yes, this is a if trade listen war. Listen to Bob Corker, we are. If you, right. Yeah, Bob Corker, Jeff Flake, um, uh, uh, Ben Sass. those guys say we're very much in a trade war. Back to your point, that was Friday morning. Oh, they it was announced, Friday. They okay. announced, yeah. the, they announced uh, formally yeah. the, the, ter- the China tariffs and, you know, maybe— Maybe 25 minutes later, the president's on the North Lawn with Fox, and then 30 <laughs> minutes later with reporters, and it just kind of, as, as you alluded to, it just got pushed to the back burner, and right. they're completely off the stove. It was just, it was just gone. Um, but and now China with the retaliatory tariffs, uh, this is starting to definitely look like if it's not a war, it's definitely a trade conflict. Whether we've declared something formally. Um, I talked to an economist last week who said it might not be a trade war yet, but this thing is about to get out of control. And he mentioned um, retaliatory tariffs, and now China apparently has done that. So we're inching closer to something. It's certainly um, not. It's certainly not an era where countries are working together. Um, lawmakers have called on on Trump to be tougher on China. He's done that. But there is real concern that, you know, there's no governor here to prevent this from spiraling out of control. And then, you know, the cost of consumer goods here starts to rise. Um, The economy takes a hit. And, you know, there are warnings that this could trigger another recession. Right. And we've got uh, this is on top, of course, of the tariffs on steel and aluminum against Mexico, Canada, European allies, uh, and I guess China uh, as well. It's interesting the... uh, New York Times yesterday, you might have seen in their editorial, uh, talked about tariffs already hitting Trump voters. So already, in terms of the retaliatory, retaliatory tariffs to the tariffs that Donald Trump has announced, mm-hmm. uh, and and China and other countries are actually um, very um, cleverly targeting products that uh, are manufactured or sold or grown. Right. In red states, right? <laughs> so they're trying to, uh, uh, you know, zero in on Trump voters, Trump supporters, uh, to show you're going to be hurt by these tariffs. I mean, these, where this could end up, God, this yeah, is. These countries follow American politics very closely. That's what we're learning here. Yeah, it did not take any of these countries, like China, Kentucky the EU, Bourbon, for example. Exactly. Hello, Mitch McConnell. Right. Do you like these tariffs? That's right. Um, and that could affect McConnell. Next time he runs again, if he runs again, I don't, I don't think he's signaled either way. Um, but very shrewdly tailoring these retaliatory tariffs to you know, places that Trump won, places that um, you know, could be tilted. We, we'll get a preview maybe um, or, or some sense of, of how the, the retaliatory tariffs are having an impact on U.S. politics in November. If you start to see um, Trump places maybe not turn blue but maybe turn a lighter shade of red or, or uh, a very light shade of purple if, you know, f- if voters are really feeling the effects of this. And, you know, that's four or five, what, six months away. That's enough time 
economically for these things to start having real impacts in uh, Trump districts. And, and, you know, and this is one case where Donald Trump uh, by himself has totally reversed the policies and practices of Republicans for decades. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and so that, that was part that was that was that was part of the bargain that that Republicans made here. Um, they they wanted tax cuts. They wanted, you know, tougher on ISIS. They wanted to roll back. Uh, they want to go after Obamacare, for instance. They wanted uh, a lot of the deregulation he talked about. Um, they 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 wanted, especially the federal uh, court system, which he and Mitch McConnell are slowly and very quietly remaking uh, in in their own image. And they had to trade something. And the two things, two of the, the biggest things they've traded are, of course, on trade mm-hmm. and relations with uh, with U.S. allies. Um, and, you know, you, you, they didn't get everything they wanted here in this deal with Trump. And um, the interesting thing is we knew this is kind of what Donald Trump would do, right? He, he talked a yeah. lot about being very, very, very tough with the rest of the world, not just the Chinas of the world or the Russias. Um, but even U.S. allies, he, they're, screw, they're screwing us. That was his message. And, you know, maybe Republicans didn't think he would actually go through with this. And <laughs> right. now it's, it's interesting. This is the issue. All the tweets, all the statements, um, some of even the, the more hardline immigration policies, Republicans on the Hill, um, they didn't say very much. Some light criticism. You had your Bob Corkers, your Jeff Flakes, who stepped out there a little, a little further. But Republicans... Just they, they, they don't want to go there because Trump is so popular in their districts and states, even to this day. But the, the trades, the, the, the trade moves have really uh, changed that. Republicans mm-hmm. are very concerned. And p- well, part of that is because of their own their own political futures. Sure. They're going to hear from the farm, particularly the farmers in their districts right. uh, and uh, in those in those red states. Something else happened that didn't get again, didn't get much attention. Um, the Trump family. Um, was uh, called out by the attorney general for the state of New York that the famous Trump charity, uh, she said, uh, forget now the person who took over after Eric Schneiderman, that the Trump charity, and Schneiderman started this, I think, this Mm -hmm. this investigation of the Trump charity. Basically, that is a bogus charity that has taken a lot of money from people and then used it for non-charitable purposes. uh, uh, um, purposes like buying a big portrait of Donald Trump for Mar-a-Lago, like paying for a lawsuit to get a flagpole in front of Mar-a-Lago. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> so this is yet one more legal challenge for the for Donald Trump, right? It really yes. is. I, I joked on Friday with another reporter that we're slowly all becoming legal experts here for those of us who you know didn't we didn't cover the justice department or something before uh we moved to the white house beat it's it's really kind of um staggering sometimes i guess michael cohen will take care of this lawsuit is it well the president said friday in that as you called it that extraordinary gaggle on the north lawn that michael cohen is no longer his lawyer oh I didn't, yeah he, I missed that. he alluded oh. to that so Whoa. i guess he'll have to find uh someone else but you know maybe joe to Genova. You know, never say never. I, there's only so much, I guess, Rudy Giuliani can do. Um, but but it, we there are the there are these inklings and reports along the way, and we kind of all suspected some of this. And it, it's kind of staggering sometimes how 
um, how the how the Trump uh, how Trump and his inner circle, you know, they confirm they confirm these inklings that we have um, along the way. Uh, it, it you know it was pretty obvious for those of us who were kind of watching the organiz- the Trump organization that they I don't want to say fast and loose uh, you know, it's kind of a loaded term but they definitely seem to be pushing the envelope even from the outside looking in um, of of how they were using those charitable dollars and now you know we get this extraordinary legal document that that starts to spell some of this out and again um, you know Republican and Democratic lawmakers have told me. The real worry here for them is this just distracts the president, and he's you know he's he's very clearly uh, influenced by how he perceives people to per- perceive him. He's very sensitive to news coverage, obviously, and you know is he? People have asked me, or, or lawmakers have raised with me, how much attention, for instance, is he paying in his morning intelligence briefing? When he's just watched, you know, two or three hours of cable news and clearly based on his tweets gets kind of ramped up and gets energized and he's very sensitive to how he's covered, you know, is his full attention on the job. A lot of folks, Republican and Democratic uh, lawmakers especially, worry about that. Yeah, Uh, there was one sort of, I thought, amusing aspect of this uh the the, uh, attorney, the this lawsuit in New York on uh, as far as the, chari- the, the Trump Foundation goes, is that um, the attorney general said wants to shut down the foundation because it's not for real, and to prevent Donald Trump or any of their fa- of his kids from ever serving on any charitable boards in the future, which is like duh, right? right. <laughs> as if they. Uh, you know, we're using these charitable foundations to actually do good charitable work. Um, one, one other you, 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 the thing that came up uh, Friday in, in this gaggle that we haven't talked about yet is um, he he talked about Paul Manafort. He talked about Michael Cohen, and he sang his praises again, yet again, of Scott Pruitt. Uh, here he is, Scott Pruitt, who has been, you know, this litany, right, laundry list of ethical violations that even some Republican senators are now saying, come on, you know, Mm -hmm. how much of this can we absorb? But uh, negative for Donald Trump? No way. Here he is. Not happy about certain things, but he's done a fantastic job running the EPA, which is very overriding. But, you know, Tom Price. By the way, I said this earlier, saying the quiet part loud, his work at the EPA is overriding all of the terrible things that he's done. Therefore, I'm going to allow him to keep doing these terrible things because there's some good stuff coming out of it, too. Yeah. David Shulkin fired Tom Price, fired for a lot less than Scott Pruitt. That's right. Yeah, Peter's yeah. got exactly right. He is doing exactly what the president wants. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I've heard senior uh, White House officials and, you know, not on the record uh, forums um, say things about Jeff Sessions. And I think, um, I, I think. Um, uh, Scott Pruitt falls into this same category that sometimes they have to when the president gets frustrated with uh, Attorney General Sessions they, they they whisper in the president's ear well sir he is uh, implementing your agenda closer to how you want it than maybe anyone else in the cabinet and I think Pruitt has gotten himself in that same right. lane. On the legal stuff Jeff Sessions is doing Everything that Donald Trump wants That's on exactly the environmental right. stuff, Jeff, Scott Pruitt is doing everything that. Donald That's exactly Trump right. Wants. And right. Um, yeah. and and when you when you tell Donald Trump, because we're all amateur psychologists now, 
uh, when when you point that out to Trump that this this official is doing what you directed him to do, that makes a that makes a big impact on 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 Donald Trump. And you know he'll he'll keep a Jeff Sessions around even though he's very frustrated by the ref, uh, refusal to recuse. And Scott Pruitt with this litany of eth- these these ethical allegations and 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 missteps. Um, which the White House isn't exactly denying. They seem to be convinced, oh, no, like no. the rest of us, yeah. that, that he did most of this. Uh, and I just want to know what that lotion is that he gets from the Ritz Carlton. Uh, you know, might, maybe we ought to, maybe all of, we should check it out. You know, I, I, I the, and the 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 Trump Hotel mattress uh, I, must I be pretty comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's. I mean, but I, but yeah, I never heard the end of that story. Whether they actually. Were able to buy a mattress. They were looking for one from the Trump a used right. mattress I don't, from the I Trump don't, Hotel. Uh, at least the the last reporting, no, they never got one. Did they move? <laughs> who and, knows? And whether if they got one, they moved it into his fifty dollar a night condo or <laughs> whatever. Right. <laughs> right. I, I don't know how much a, a used Trump Hotel mattress goes for, but I, it was probably more than the monthly the rent he was paying. But you know, uh, it, it it appears that uh, that. Pruitt just feels – some staffers told the New York Times that Pruitt told them that he feels he's just trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, you got the Trumps who are living high on the hog and Steve Mnuchin and Betsy DeVos all and Wilbur Ross, all these billionaire cabinet members. Right. And that Pruitt is just trying to, you know, keep up with the Joneses. I, that's just – you know, all due respect to the – to the EPA administrator, that's not really how it works. Those <laughs> folks uh, amassed their fortunes during their yeah, uh, right. private careers before they came into government service. Yeah, yeah. You don't then do things in government service to at least. I, I I don't know if he's trying to create the illusion of 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 of, of being you, you in that class uh, you, you, in that tax bracket. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm I'm just not sure what's. You don't what's, spend taxpayer dollars to enrich right. yourselves or make your lifestyle right. more comfortable. Right. So back to this this biggest story that we've been dealing with today with this with this horrible situation at the border and these images and we're going to see a lot more of them of the detention that tent city there and the detention center there but also others around the country where like the one up in New Jersey where some members of Congress went to uh, over the weekend mm-hmm. um, how's Donald Trump going to deal with this you never know I I you wonder if the pressure so sometimes the pressure will lead him to make uh, a decision and um a lot of times he will stick with the hardline uh policy we you know we have Stephen Miller who um has been there from day 1 he's one of the survivors from the original yeah, um, one of the few <laughs> right one of the originals and clearly the president trusts him you know this this policy was was on and then it was off and then um, a month or so ago, driven by Stephen Miller, he's called the architect of this thing, it was back on again. And that's because, by all accounts, they showed the president the numbers on an increase um, mm-hmm. uh, an increase in undocumented individuals that are coming across the border. So, sir, we have to do something. It's hard for me to see the president completely rolling this back. Maybe, you know, my gut says maybe they try to find some middle ground uh, because they do, you know, the Stephen Millers of the world, the John Kellers of the world, and now the Donald Trumps of the world, they believe this is a deterrent. The experts say otherwise. It, Republicans are aghast by this. Evangelicals, Franklin Graham and others, aghast by this. Um, but now Trump is dug in, and sometimes when Trump digs in, he sticks by the hardliners. 
and and they've won repeatedly on immigration. The, you know, when the Senate was writing their yeah. bill, yeah. the hardliners won that debate by not losing. Uh, we're probably going to see the hardliners win in the House debate this week again by not losing. Um, and it's just hard for me to see how Trump completely reverses this unless he unless he comes to the conclusion that it's bad for him politically. Right. But, you know, he said, oh, I love the dreamers. I love the dreamers. We're going to take the dreamers. Hasn't done anything about the dreamers. So now he says, I hate the fact that we're, this is happening down there. And he may well, as you point out, do nothing about this either. Hey, John, you better get back to the White House. You never know what's going to be happening down there. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Follow down at Roll Call, rollcall.com. Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash the bill press show and remember if you haven't already done so make sure to subscribe to this podcast on itunes and while you're there please rate and review the show that means a lot to us and thanks so much for your support Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Ripping families apart at the border. This is not who we are as Americans. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Monday, Monday, June 18. Great to see you today. The Bill Press Show. That's us. That's you. And we welcome you to the program. Thank you for joining us. I uh, hope you had a great weekend and a uh, glorious Father's Day to all of you. Uh, we have uh, so much to cover today. That's why it's good that you're with us with uh, more and more criticism coming um, even from some Republican senators and a former first lady of the United States about the administration's, um, the effects of the administration's zero tolerance policy as we see now up to uh, 2,000 children. Uh, being uh, housed in an abandoned where, uh, uh, Walmart down near the Texas border, and because that's overflowing, uh, moving some of them into a tent city in the uh, desert down along the border. Uh, um, many, many people saying, this is not who we are as Americans. We should not be doing this, but Donald Trump just blames it all on the Democrats. One of the big issues, uh, the big issue that we're covering today, but there's also a lot on the... Uh, Robert Mueller front with Paul Manafort um, being sent to prison on Friday and Roger Stone now saying he, too, had a big meeting with a Russian who offered dirt on Hillary Clinton. Ryan Riley covers all these Justice Department issues for HuffPost, joining us in studio. Ryan, it's good to see you again. Sure. Thanks for having me. As always. Hope you had a good weekend. Yeah. Uh, and we'll jump right into it, as you know. But first... Got to give it to Peter here for the uh, full court press. off the wall headlines. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So a couple of weeks ago, yes, I told you about how Jimmy Kimmel was uh, going to play basketball against Ted Cruz. 
right? Well, that actually happened over the weekend. They did it as part of a uh, part of Kimmel's show, but they haven't aired it yet. But people were there to watch some of it. So here's the I'll give you the box score first and foremost. They were supposed to play to 15. First person to hit 15 won the game, but they both gave up. <laughs> they both gave up when Ted Cruz was winning 11 to nine because the game was just going on two hours. They said too long. <laughs> It was it going took them on. that long. It to took them that long. So, so they had given themselves two hours, as you mentioned, and there was the whole introduction. There was a whole lot of the back and forth, and then they just couldn't score <laughs> during the game. But I will give Kimmel credit. They should have had Barack Obama there. He, he would have scored instead of playing a really good basketball. Jimmy Kimmel most of the time just trash talked Ted Cruz and his policies. Here's one example when Ted Cruz was actually doing really, really well, and Jimmy Kimmel said, "Did you spend more time this week practicing basketball than trying to get those kids out of that detention center?" To which the crowd was very appreciative of that. But uh, Ted Cruz apparently pretty decent basketball player. Well, I didn't know that. Pretty okay. decent basketball player. So 11 to nine was the final score when they both just or just gave like up. less bad it sounds like yeah yeah yeah, that, yeah that's a better way to put it so actress mary mccormick and, uh, and what was the score in the congressional baseball game oh yeah right uh slightly more than that <laughs> democrats 21 republicans five <laughs> okay baby yeah uh, moving on, in, in, in Hollywood, actress Mary McCormick, she was riding along in her husband with her husband who was driving in their Tesla. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, a couple flagged them, told them to pull over. They pulled over. There was smoke billowing out of the oh, car, no. which then turned into flames. She took video of it and put it out on Twitter of their Tesla. Flames pouring out of the bottom of the car. She said in the tweet, this is what happened to my husband and his car today. No accident, out of the blue, in traffic on Santa Monica Boulevard. Thank you to the kind couple who flagged us down and told us to pull over. My Ooh. three little girls were not in the car with us. Thank God. What happened? The Tesla just caught on fire. This is not the first time that's happened, by the way. I'm not saying that it's an epidemic. It's not right. happening Ooh. all over the Ooh. place. But uh, it has happened a couple of times now, and I would just be careful. Mm. Be careful if you're driving your Tesla. Okay. Elon Musk will find out. Maybe those flamethrowers finally went on sale. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Back in 10. This is the Bill Press Show. Even former First Lady Laura Bush comes out and says the Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy is immoral. What do you say, everybody? It is a Monday, June 18. Great to see you today. The Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome. As we join you uh, coast to coast, particularly here in the United States of America, also all around the world, uh, and I'd love to... Uh, uh, to have you with us today with so much to talk about. We're joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show on uh, Free Speech TV and on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT. Thanks so much again for uh, signing on uh, with all the um, headlines of the day. Lots to cover. And Ryan Riley is here from HuffPost to talk to us particularly about what's happening uh, with the Mueller investigation and on the whole Justice Department front and Ryan, one of our um, 
uh, biggest fans, actually, uh, is watching the show this morning from a different venue. He's not watching from home today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's watching from federal prison somewhere. I don't know. Where is Paul Manafort? Any, he do we know? Be, he'll be held in a local uh, facility, I believe. Like, I'm... Sometimes they'll send some of the federal um, sort of de- detainees, I suppose, to like Alexandria or Arlington oh, okay. or, or D.C. All right. Um, but he's not home. He's not home. And when yeah. he walked into the courtroom on Friday, do you think he expected to be whisked right away to uh, to he, jail? He should have. I mean, he had, you know, this was a situation where he, I mean, he had already had two ankle monitors on from two different <laughs> yeah, jurisdictions. Right. Um, and I mean, you know, the thing that you got to recognize here is that he had an ex- like he was extraordinarily lucky considering the charges that he was facing and the amount of money he was able to put up. A lot of people he put up a ten million dollar bail, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, correct. But like, still couldn't follow the rules. <laughs> like, right? Like, like this wasn't only the accused, you know, interference. He had also sort of violated it before by <laughs> speaking with the pro- like he had put out the work with someone else to like on an op ed and trying to like basically make his. You know, PR case essentially, and there and, had been some other. And violations this time, his violation was what? <laughs> Getting charged with a new crime, which is not something you're supposed to do when you're um, on probation. But you know, he was um, you know alleged to sort of being interfering and in, with this investigation, witness tampering. Witness, witness tampering. Yeah. So to, to trying to uh, persuade witnesses to lie under yeah. oath, or yeah, just you know. Fade away, go away, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it, uh, Manafort stands out because. Of all the people that Mueller has gone after, um, he's one of the few who has not agreed to cooperate with Mueller. Right? Yeah. I, you know, when you look at Papadopoulos and uh, Michael Flynn and uh, this, uh, others, anyhow, yeah. losing the names of them, but Manafort has been fighting these charges from the very beginning and accusing Mueller of uh, uh, going beyond his mission. Right. And, I mean, the scope of the crimes against him is sort of like. I, it's tough to know what's going on behind the scenes there. One thing might be that he just might not have a ton to offer that would, like, you know, justify, um, you know, a huge break on this. Because I think that he, the charges he's facing are so, you know, I mean, they could throw him away forever probably based off of this. So it's, you know, he's the guy sort of got to figure out what he's, you know, <laughs> what he's going to do. And his, his decision, which didn't work out in this yeah. scenario, is basically that he's going to, you know, fight this and dedicate, you know, a lot of his, his remaining funds to doing so. So Donald Trump uh, was asked about uh, Paul Manafort at this uh, famous gaggle a Friday morning on the North Lawn of the White House. Um, and, um, you know, he he's, he's still standing by Manafort. Here he is. Like Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign. But I feel so, I tell you, I feel a little badly about it. They went back 12 years to get things that he did 12 years ago. Well, first of all, he has nothing to do with the campaign. He was the head of is the campaign manager. He was the head of, of the it. entire campaign. The head of the entire <laughs> campaign. Right. Okay. So we get that out of the way. Uh, uh, but so but Donald it, Trump never lies. That's I true. think it's like I think Trump's thing is that he doesn't think Manafort deserves any credit for his win. I think is the right. the, the framing that because he's he like, said he came in late. You know, right. Just like you said about C. Bannon. Bannon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it does raise the question. So he feels sorry for him. And Rudy Giuliani talked about this, too. Is there a Manafort pardon uh, in the future? I mean, certainly there could be. I think that right now Giuliani has said that um, basically that he shouldn't do it when the investigation's ongoing, but afterwards there might be. I mean, I think that that's a, as long as Paul Manafort doesn't do anything to upset Trump or, you know, or, you know, end up flipping on him. I think that's actually mm-hmm. he might. I mean, 
it depends, right? If he might actually end up with a better deal if he's sort of guaranteed this pardon, if he doesn't, yeah. like, you know, right. <laughs> do anything. Because, I mean, it's not like the president hasn't made political pardons. All of his pardons have been political or been lobbied for by, you know, celebrities. So it's like his friends and people who in fact Giuliani was quoted as uh, he, he said uh, last week that things might get cleaned up yeah. this is so after the Mueller investigation is finished quote unquote things might get cleaned up with some presidential pardons yeah isn't that perilously close to obstruction of justice <sighs> I mean, he's sort of saying it's a tough case to me I mean yeah I mean He's sending if, – if that's not sending a signal, what is it, right? Yeah, I think certainly it's fair to say that's sending a signal and that it – I mean, is it a charge of obstruction of justice? I don't know. Is it – does it look like they're obstructing justice? Certainly. I mean, that gives that that impression, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean – and the interesting thing is here we haven't really seen many – we, you know, a couple of weeks ago we asked um, – sort of went out to all the Republicans and asked about, you know, this issue of pardon. If, if, if Trump pardons himself <laughs> – was that like the final line? Oh, I, yeah. We only right. got one. We got a single Republican to say that, like, if Trump pardons himself, that's, yeah, let's, we'll impeach him. Like, that's like, that's the, like, which is pretty serious. I mean, pardon, self pardon would never be remotely within, like, the realm of political possibility. No president's ever done it, not even Nixon. Right. Um, and the only reason to do it is be- if you committed a crime. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you pardon yourself, you're sort of admitting. Yeah. I committed a crime for which I need a pardon. Right. And Trump has talked about his, you know, absolute ability to do this. So, you know, I think he lo- he, he really does like the pilot. It's something he's newly obsessed with, the pardon power and, you know, figuring out what he can do there. Oh, yeah. Kind of yeah. like a kid when they learn a new skill. <laughs> but I've made this point before. When you think about it, there are very few things a president can do unilaterally, yeah. right? Can't pass a budget, mm-hmm. right? I mean, can't – well <laughs> – under the Constitution, he can't start a war, but right. of course we have presidents who've done that. But he certainly can pardon, and nobody's going to challenge it. Yeah, it is he an absolute right pardon, yeah. power that that's given under the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so Paul Manafort um, uh, back in the news, Mueller related, and um, so is old Roger Stone. Boy, why should any of us be surprised that we keep finding out dirt about Roger Stone? It uh, turns out that he now admits that if having denied meeting with any Russians at all, having anything to do with any connections to Russians, even denying that in congressional testimony, now he admits he did meet with this one guy. And here's what Roger Stone says it was all about. He told me he wanted to help Trump, that he attended these rallies. He really thought Trump's election was important. I said, fine. And then he said, I know where this information can be gotten, but it will cost you $2 million. Mm-hmm. $2 million. So uh, no collusion, but willingness to collude? Or, yeah. I mean, the, the idea of trying to get out in front of this story was, like, quite something here where he's just, like, the, they're trying to flip the script and say, oh, like, this person was, this. they're trying to be, like, the government was trying to set them up, essentially. Who knows? Like, I, this person apparently did work as a FBI informant at some point. We don't know whether or not he was operating in that capacity at that point because, you know, the information we've gotten is that the investigation hadn't begun at that point. So that's sort of up in the air. But, I mean, the idea that, you know, just admitting your willingness to, you know, meet with a foreign national who's offering yeah. 
dirt on the campaign is pretty significant. Even if, like the like the whole issue here was he wasn't willing to pay for it. Like right, yeah, like it's right. like no, like you shouldn't be meeting with foreign nationals like offering to interfere in the election. I think is the broader issue. I love also what he said uh, that that uh, you don't know Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't pay for anything. <laughs> well, you know he paid. As I mentioned earlier, he paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 and Karen McDougal $160,000. So, yeah, he does pay for it. Could have gone through the Trump charity, maybe, you know, like uh, <laughs> made a donation <laughs> right. to some group. He could have had Michael Cohen pay yeah. the $2 million. No, but, but Trump wasn't going to pay out of pocket, to be clear. But, you know, <laughs> right. it's not outside the realm of possibility. But the other thing is the connection, too, is that this, from what I read, this meeting with Roger Stone and this Russian dude, by the way, who was marry, wearing a MAGA hat, and a Trump T-shirt. Mm -hmm. So you would think it'd be something he would remember in his congressional testimony yep. when he said, I never met any Russian whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, but the meeting was set up by Michael Caputo, a campaign aide. Yep. So the guy comes to the campaign. He's, from, he's in Florida, and Caputo, campaign aide, calls Roger Stone and says, oh, probably figures out, oh, we got a guy in Florida, Roger Stone. He's mm -hmm. our guy in Florida. So he sets the meeting up, right? which Roger Stone, again, willingly goes to see this guy, to, to meet with this guy to see what he's got. Right. Yeah. So Roger Stone hasn't been, one of his aides was questioned by Mueller, mm -hmm. but Mueller hasn't gone after Roger Stone yet, has he? Uh, no, that I, I think there are, I mean, he's certainly, I, I, they probably want to put a label on him yet. I mean, he should not be. You should oh. probably be worried, I would say, um, given how this like investigation is sort of playing out. Um, I think that's certainly a possibility. The the interesting thing is that <clears throat> there's, you know, I think under normal circumstances, had someone lied to Congress or lied under, you know, giving yeah. testimony to Congress, that there might be a referral here. But there's probably not going to be a referral here uh, because Republicans are in charge of the committee and. You know, that's sort of how it's going to go for here, because I think they're going to be more concerned about like they've already latched on to this idea that, well, was this a informant as opposed to the fact that like mm -hmm. he lied to the committee. <laughs> right. I mean, they're they're going to dig into this angle that Stone is trying to take and say, well, who is, is who is this person? Were they working for the FBI? Was this a setup? Yada, 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 which is an interesting question, I think, but is also not like central to the idea that you lied to Congress. So what's happening with Michael Cohen? I haven't heard from him lately if he's, he's so big dangling feds, out there and yeah they seize this record they i mean so they now we know what records um he sent he sent like i think 700 some pages of whatsapp or signal messages um to someone um that they now have um so that could be interesting um because now the the feds have them and that's you know see who he's communicating with behind the scenes there um i don't think he's in a tough i think he's in a tough spot i think that you know we're I think that, you know, a lot of news outlets probably have their indictment stories pre-written on him. Um, so, yeah, he's I'm not in that safe of a spot right now, I'd say. Uh, indicted indictments from the U.S. attorney in New York, Correct. right? Correct, yeah, the separate from the Mueller investigation. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, but there, too, if, if these are federal charges, mm -hmm. um, he could be pardoned by Donald Trump, too, right? Indeed I mean, it's not they're, not they're not state charges. No, yeah. Um, yeah, he, that could absolutely happen, and I, you know, very strong possibility. What was it that uh, Trump said about Michael Cohen? Also, Friday he was asked. I think he just said basically he always liked him. Oh, that I know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Let's listen first. I always liked Michael Cohen. I haven't spoken to Michael in a long time. Yeah, sort of indicating that Michael's no longer working for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's been the the case for a bit now. Um, I mean, what Trump has to do, even though he's 
there, the stories that have come out, the Wall Street Journal had a really good story last week about sort of this relationship between the two. And apparently Trump sort of tried to fire him at one point, but ultimately just cut his salary in half and let him stick around. Um, but I think like right now, Trump, is it, in, it isn't in his favor to be saying anything negative about Michael Cohen because Cohen's like was that you know loyal guy. And if he flips, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. He knows where the bodies are buried. He knows... You know, he knows the deal, metaphorically speaking, of course. Right, perhaps. <laughs> of course. Perhaps more than anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, Washington uh, buzzing with anticipation last week about what was going to be contained in the inspector general's report. Yes. Finally out, 17 months. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, was it the blockbuster that uh, Donald Trump uh predicted it would be? I mean, it was big. It wasn't what Trump said it was going to be, but it was big. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. Big in another way, right? Right. But yeah. not big in exonerating Donald Trump. No, that was, that was <laughs> this, I mean, it's a 500-page report. He obviously, you know, didn't read it. Um, but the idea that it didn't have anything to really do with the Russian investigation. I mean, there were some, certainly that was the context of it, but this was focused on the Clinton decision and what went into that. And essentially, you know, strongly criticized Comey for his uh, decisions during the campaign or, um, you know, during the election and basically mistreating essentially Clinton. And um, which, I mean, you know, it's fascinating because this entire premise, you know, the reason that they gave originally is for the reason that they fired Comey was because he basically mistreated, mishandled the Clinton investigation and wasn't yeah. fair to Clinton, which is sort right. of this extraordinary yeah. claim that they also don't want to remind people of because or Trump doesn't want to talk about. Right. Because um, he wants to say that he won on his own. You know that Hillary Clinton was treated with kid gloves as this entire premise of his um, his yeah. campaign. So now he has you know he can't just be like yeah like they're totally they totally you know handed this thing to me, which is what I mean no. a fair reading of the report. So the inspector general uh, correctly says that uh, Comey violated Department of Justice procedures right. or regulation whatever uh, uh, standard operating procedures I guess SOP from by. Uh, holding that news conference without clearing it with the AG mm-hmm. in July, where he both exonerated and smeared Hillary Clinton, right. and then also violated procedures in October when he reopened the investigation without first checking to see whether there was anything really there in those emails that was worth opening the, reopening the investigation for. Right. So w- both times that he violated procedures, it was hurting Hillary Clinton, yes. not helping Hillary Clinton. No, I mean, and there's but a, indirectly helping Donald Trump, right? And I mean, there's an interesting point that some of the um, these text we've heard a lot about these text messages between two FBI employees. Right, I was going to ask you about the Peter Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Strzok, yeah, um, Peter Strzok now who says, "I'll yeah, I'll, I'm testify. willing to come down and testify in front of Congress and yeah, voluntarily and right. tell them." What I, what I did. Yeah. What's interesting is sort of like buried in the report. They is both, he still an FBI agent? He's still with the FBI. They put him in human resources is where they sort of dumped him <laughs> oh, for a while. Yeah. Uh, but he's still there now. Um, anyway, so he, like, what's interesting is, it's, you know, this little note in the report that's sort of buried in there, but they both sort of make this point to the investigators that, hey, like, if we really wanted to screw this up for Trump, we, like, would have made it public that we're investigating him for, you know, for the, the Trump campaign yeah. and, and Russian collusion because it wasn't right. out there. And that was right. the entire no. thing. Like, you know. No, the Hillary Clinton, the Hillary investigation was out there. The Trump was not. Right. Again, I come back to Comey. Comey violated the procedures by blabbing about Hillary. Yeah. And yet he, he decided he would abide by the procedures in mm-hmm. keeping Donald Trump a secret, right. quiet. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so we saw that and we saw there are other these messages that came up within the IG report that I think that we're going to see a lot of focus on from Republicans, which were essentially it was the the FBI's version of Slack, like their behind the scenes communications, you know, G-chat sort of yeah. uh, mechanism where they were going back and forth. And there's these two FBI agents who are both on the Clinton campaign who are talking back and forth and actually were dating at the time and are now married. So just a lot of love stories going on at the FBI over there. Uh, <laughs> but they were talking Hot about of I know romance. <laughs> yeah. Um, Quantico, not that far off, I guess. That show, you know? um, but the, anyway, so they were talking and basically they were not, you know, big. They were um, not big Trump fans. You know, we're pushing for Hillary. So there's a lot of communications between them. There's this other FBI employee who wrote to another one that, you know, Viva La Resistance, <laughs> like at yeah. one point. And um, yeah, so those are what we're going to th- see a lot of a lot of focus on these sort of water cooler chat stuff about, you know, how crazy Trump was. But there's also so the another thing uh, back to Comey. Um, that it came out. I don't know whether we knew this before. Uh, that another thing Comey did wrong, violating D- Department of Justice procedures, was his use of a private. Yeah, that was a fun little detail. That was the first one that I broke out. I saw that and I was like, "Yeah, that's my my first story." Um, yeah, I mean, so to, you know, to be clear, there was a difference between what Clinton was accused of doing and what he was accused of doing. He was using it, still breaking internal rules about using personal devices, using. Uh, personal computer and that sort of thing. Um, but there wasn't any classified information. This was like public yeah. speeches that he was working on. So there is a difference between what they were accused of, but it's still kind of hilarious that he was accused of improperly using uh, you know, his own FBI. He, he was using Gmail, I mean. He was using Gmail, but for FBI business, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They- it's essentially, it seems like an FBI tech problem where they don't have something he can like sit at home and write with. Like so, basically, he just had to, you know, he had to get it back on his FBI computer because he needed a word processor. I think the issue was that he had like an FBI device, but when he's sitting down to write out a whole speech, he needs that was the reason he gave that he needed like a computer to actually sit and type at. He couldn't just be on his phone. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's a good thing. I I understand now why uh, why his publisher wanted to get his book out before the yeah. IG report came out, right? So. Yeah. That's a really good point for all the people that think that James Comey is some sort of hero hero of the yeah. resistance. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, been, just read the story about this report. <laughs> right. And we've been saying that from the beginning. Yeah. Don't, oh, yeah. don't put this guy on a pedestal. He just, I'm, I'm not trying to get you in, <laughs> but just from my point of view, don't put him on a pedestal. He doesn't belong on a pedestal. I think uh, you can make the argument that uh, were not for James Comey, uh, we might have a different president of the United States today. But at really any rate, he's certainly like, no friend of the left <laughs> or I mean, of Hillary. I mean, it's amazing but, watching the coverage of him, like, and having covered him for a number of years, where he's like definitely a Republican. Like, there's one moment where we had a roundtable, and I used the phrase mass incarceration, and he jumped down my throat. He's like, "What? What is this mass incarceration?" Like, he didn't he hates that term. He actually wrote about it in his book and apparently he's talked to the president well, about it before where he just <laughs> yeah. like, it's just like, you know, he just hates that term because it's, you know, he's he's a Republican. I mean, he was, he's was he been a lifelong Republican and, you know, conservative guy. Um, you, you know, know this, Donald Trump, speaking of that, reminds me, I've, I have, I've been meaning to check this, but I haven't. So let me ask you, but Donald Trump keeps saying that there are no Republicans in the Mueller investigation, that they're all a bunch of Democrats. Um, who were contributing to Hillary Clinton and on and on and on. What's the truth there? Well, first, we know Mueller is a Republican. Right. Lifelong. I mean, so the entire thing is Are all the rest of them Democrats? I don't – that's not really – I mean, no. Um, there are certainly um, – it's a mixed group. I think that we've seen a lot of people who have, you know, have 
Democratic donations. But um, I think that that's sort of the FBI and the DOJ would get really frustrated with looking at it through that lens. Exactly. Yeah, because, I like, understand that. People they... are allowed to have their political views on the outside and bring them, you know, and not you know, have a firewall essentially and say, you know, this is not going to affect impact my work and that sort of thing. It gets messy when you get these messages that, you know, are on FBI servers and then, you know, now those are going to be seized upon and sort of used because two of the people, I think, well, no, not the two people who are in a relationship, but one of the FBI people was on the special counsel team. The person who wrote Viva La Resistance mm-hmm. is, um, was on the special counsel team until the IG informed the special counsel of those messages and then he was gone yeah. um, immediately. Um, so, I mean, that's certainly something that, you know, can be seized on politically. But I think that a lot of people at DOJ, at the FBI, would hate this reading where it's you know, sort of thought of as everything through this political lens. And it's, you know, just Democrats where it's they want to be thought seen as professionals, people doing their job and career for a people. You know, they weren't they're in the they're not in these people who are pulled from a lot of career spots within DOJ. It wasn't as though these are, you know, all. Obama appointees, you know, that sort of thing. Do you have any sense, what do your sources tell you, of where Mueller is in his investigation? I mean, <laughs> you'd be tough to get, you'd, it'd be hard for anyone to really have a Mueller source, I think, because they are so locked down with this, which I think is like, whenever you hear anything about this idea of leaks coming from the campaign, it's just so, yeah. or, or rather from the Mueller investigation, it's just no, not. There have, been, there have been no leaks from the Mueller They're team. very locked down. Yeah, right. Um, all this Rudy Giuliani keeps talking about the meeting they had, right. and he keeps coming up with all these things that Mueller said and everything. There's no, not been one word of response from the Mueller side. Yeah, no comment. I mean, you know, the, they haven't denied it. Thing. They haven't confirmed it. They just haven't. They've ignored it. Yeah. So I mean, everything's coming either from defense attorneys or you know, people. A lot of defense attorneys essentially yeah. is where a lot of this ends up coming from. People actually involved in the investigation. Um, so I don't think we know. I mean, I don't think we know exactly where where we're at on this. All right. Well, Giuliani says, for example that clearly the obstruction that Mueller will not want to be seen as in, as interfering with the 2018 midterm elections so that the obstruction for justice thing will be that'll be that'll be done he'll come wrap that up before November I mean I think ultimately that in all likelihood Mueller follows the long-standing rules of DOJ which is that you can't indict the president I think that's just a precedent that he's going to follow. So basically what's going to end up happening is there's going to be this report that Mueller is going to send to the deputy Congress. attorney general. Or, yeah, right, right. And then the deputy attorney general is going to make that call whether or not that report gets sent to Congress. I don't think that report's ever going to really get buried. I think it's going to come out in some form eventually, but it's sort of a matter of if that comes out immediately, when that comes yeah. out, and all that sort of thing. And I think that you know the important thing here is that because this is really ultimately going to be a political decision – what you see right now is a lot of working the jury because the jury is the American public in a lot of cases. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Giuliani has admitted he's that made that's that what they're trying to do. Right. right. Is to work the jury. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if you look uh, at you know, the considering that no one on the Hill will say, you know, if, if Trump pardons himself or hardly any Republicans in the Hill will say if Trump pardons himself, that's, you know, the final straw. That doesn't bode well for the, you know, the investigation, especially as you see all these efforts to undermine the Mueller team, because then that's when they come out with the report, it's going to be, oh, this is just those, you know, 13 Democrats, you know, putting out their partisan report. Yeah, I have to tell you, I don't think, um, I, I think this idea that Mueller will even wrap, that, that wrap up the obstruction of justice by by the midterms is wishful thinking on Rudy's, Rudy's part. I mean, I think he's just trying to put a little pressure on Mueller. Yeah. But we're going to criticize you for interfering in the elections if you don't wrap it up by then, right? But yeah. again, 
My impression of Mueller is he's just doing his job. He doesn't give a damn what mm-hmm. these people say day in, day out. Yeah, I think what, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's nice to know that in this city there's one person who's serious about doing his job. And also one person, as we've said so many times in Washington, one person who can keep a secret. Yeah. <laughs> He's been locked down. It's you haven't heard anything from him. You haven't even like I mean we haven't seen him. That's really. why you, that's it. You yeah. don't even see him. No. We keep talking about it. how can he get in and out of that courthouse or that office every day, <laughs> and you ne- never see all he the. He never footage. goes out. He never goes out to dinner. Yeah. All the footage him of him you see is old footage from yeah. You yeah. Know, a past appearance in front of Congress. But. There's like one recent one of him coming. I think they got him at one point since the investigation coming in and out of Congress, and then like apparently there's a spotting just like. Him walking around downtown somewhere, someone like got a photo of him. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. He's a ghost. He is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great to see you, Ryan. Great to Thanks see you so much for coming in. Sure. Uh, Pema Levy joins us next from Mother Jones, but you can follow uh, Ryan Riley and all of our good friends at HuffPost at HuffPost.com. A quick break. We'll be uh, right back. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Monday, June 18. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Wrapping up here on this Monday with the news of the day, the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital. That's Washington, D.C. Last time we checked and our studio in Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action. Uh, Congress coming back into town today after the weekend. We'll see if any of them have enough backbone to stand up and uh, express their dismay and their disgust and their opposition to the Trump administration's zero tolerance policy resulting in some 2,000 kids yanked from their families and slapped into um, internment camps, whatever you want to call them, down at the uh, border. We're brought to you today by the (coughs) United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active members. Check out their website at USW. Dot org. Uh, in studio with us, joining us from the great Mother Jones, uh, Pema Levy, political reporter and covers just about anything she wants to write about. Hi, Pema. Nice Hi. to see you. Good to see you. Have a good weekend? I did, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. Thanks for coming in early on a, early on a, on a Monday, uh, where we're expecting even some more decisions from the Supreme Court. They're wrapping up this year's session, so they save everything until the end, and then it all comes down and... Exactly. Uh, uh, by the end of the month of June, right? Yes, exactly. So, so they got a way to go. Last week, a big decision on um, voter suppression in Ohio. Yeah, in Ohio, and it, with implications, of course, for every single state in the country. Um, yeah, so basically, last Monday, the Supreme Court made it easier for states, if they want to, to remove people from the rolls. Uh, basically, if you haven't voted in uh, two years, you get a notice, and if you don't respond or vote in the next two years, uh, then you could be removed from the voter rolls. And they don't, you know, warn you or tell you you've been removed. So it results in people showing up to vote, and turns out they're not registered and they can't cast a ballot. Right. Um, and you know, you may think, oh, that doesn't really happen. Um, but just in Ohio, there's evidence um, that certainly, uh, you know, over. Many thousands of people who are eligible voters um, have been uh, removed, and probably the number is much higher. Right, and um, th- that that the, that's been documented to the particularly 
the people impacted are people who live in urban areas, uh, young so people of color. I would say that I wish there was better studies of this, honestly, but uh, Reuters did an analysis of Ohio's program, and they they stayed within their analysis in the three biggest um, most populous counties in Ohio, and they found that the people who ended up removed from the rolls um, were overwhelmingly minority and poor and in Democratic neighborhoods. Right. The people who are more likely to have voted Democratic, right? Yes. When you say they get you get a notice, we're talking about a postcard, right? Yes. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, these days, I... If I got a postcard, I might not notice it (laughs) or might ignore it or might think, oh, well, I'm definitely going to go vote in the next four years, so it's fine. And my registration is current, so why would I change it? But, you know, things come up. You know, people get busy. They travel. They get sick. Um, And so, you know, or maybe you've moved, but you just moved within your county, so you're still, you know, eligible to vote in the same way. Um, And basically what the Supreme Court said was we don't care if, you know, eligible people are being removed. We don't care if this is a— the best way to maintain voter rolls, we think it's legal. Uh, and by saying that, I think they encourage other states, um, largely run by Republicans, because this has become a partisan issue, um, to go ahead and start to do the same thing. And I do think that when we talk about voter suppression, uh, increasingly we are talking about who is registered and voter purchase. I think that is, you know, for many years we've been dealing with voter ID. I think we're moving on to voter purges and voter registration. Well, uh, I noticed uh, that one of the sure signs that this was not good news is most of the headlines that I saw about this case use the word purge in the headline. Absolutely. I actually have to say that some people who support this policy also use the word purge. It's almost like no one is shying away from this oh, they, anymore. Yeah. They, yeah, they're proud of their purges, right? Seems and, to be, and some yeah, of us are offended, it, offended by their purges. They yeah. say it prevents fraud and all of that. All this massive fraud, right? right. Yeah, and there there have been a lot of studies about how much fraud there is. Right, it's close to zero. <laughs> yeah, especially you know in person voter fraud, which which they say they're avoiding. Doesn't the Constitution prohibit uh, dropping people from the rolls just because they did not vote? So this is an issue. This is a statutory issue. That okay. Um, and this all comes back to the National Voter Registration Act. People know that as the Motor Voter Law. Mm-hmm. It was passed in 1993, and it was at its core a civil rights law. Um, we had incredibly low voter turnout in this country, very low participation, and Congress said people aren't one getting registered and two staying registered because mm-hmm. it's hard to register, and then they're being purged afterward. And so they tried to address this problem. Uh, But the law has some ambiguities, and one of them is that they also ask states to do what they call reasonable list maintenance. So, you know, make an effort when— To keep your list up to date. Exactly, exactly. And so what the Supreme Court said was that this was a, quote-unquote, reasonable effort to Mm -hmm. keep their list up to date. Uh, You know, the minority, the liberal Because they send the postcard. Right. If they purged, I think, what I read, without the postcard, without some notice— then they might have said, no, that's... Illegal. They would, illegal. That would have been illegal, right. But yeah. because of, of the postcard, um, which just feels very antiquated <laughs> um, and yeah. unreliable, yeah. certainly, uh, then, uh, then yeah, then they can, they can be purged. The idea, you know, there was a time not that long ago, like, I, okay, this, <laughs> but maybe I'm not, maybe I'm speaking just for Washington, D.C. But for example, invitations to parties are stuff, right? You would get something in the mail, right? Right. Today, it's all Honestly, email. 
Right. What I get in the mail is honestly I junk. It's spam. It's it's seventy five percent of it essentially goes right in the trash. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean people how many people really pay import attention to physical snail mail today? It, right. it, it's also or an issue. Or depend on it. I mean, the plaintiff in this case claimed that he never got it, right? You, the county registrar, uh, the county elections administration uh, could say, we sent you a notice, but it might not have gotten to you. Um, you know, you might use a P.O. box and you didn't pay the fee or you might have just moved or you might, you know, when you're poor, you move a lot more, right? So you could have, you know, a P.O. box for where you are and then moving around and maybe you put a a physical address for your voter registration, but you're using a P.O. box. So they send the notice to the physical address that you don't live at anymore because you're using a P.O. box. So, you know, you're being responsible, but you still don't get the notice. Yeah. Um, so there are just myriad ways that Particularly you for young people today, right? I mean, the idea that you would depend on a physical in-the-mail postcard to to communicate with anybody Right. You might as well drive a horse and buggy. Right, right. Snapchat might be legal, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's you know, and and the evidence really speaks for itself. You know, I mean, there are thousands and thousands of people in Ohio um, that would not have been able to vote. Uh, a court put this on hold in Ohio in 2016, and thousands of people were able to vote who wouldn't have been able to. But I think your point is especially important: is that this sends a signal to other states. Oh, Ohio got away with it. We could do that too. Absolutely. Right. Uh, now. The Supreme Court has has scarcely finished their their announcements for this year. What what's still pending? There are some really big cases out. The ones uh, that I have been looking into are cases about partisan gerrymandering. Uh, a case is that Wisconsin? That is Wisconsin and Maryland. And Maryland, so they have right. two of these. Um, they also have a racial gerrymandering case out of Texas. And finally, I've been looking at, of course, the travel ban. Right. Yeah. It's hard to believe the travel ban. I mean, the, the three times it's been shot down by other courts, I guess, right? That's Let's start true. with that. Uh, and in these cases, all the arguments, oral arguments have been held. They've been debating. They've been deliberating. They probably really know how they're going. We just don't know, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and Do we know what's coming today? No, you never know what's coming to what's coming on a particular day until mm-hmm. the justice stands up and starts reading. Um, but any of these could come at any minute. There's only a couple more days this month that they could release uh, arguments. Um, The travel ban case is interesting because there was actually a little bit of a uh, twist, if you will, um, in the last week. Uh, There was essentially the the final version of the travel ban uh, contained waivers, right? So the first one was a blanket ban. The second one, the administration was like, no, no, we're really reasonable. We're going to have waivers. And these, you know, these waivers apply to certain people um, who, you know, are not going don't present a harm to the United States um, to be able to enter um, certain categories of people. Uh, but there's been a question. No one has really, who you'd think would qualify for these waivers, have gotten in. One of the, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, during oral, oral argument, raised that a, a child girl with cerebral palsy looking for medical care had been denied a waiver. So if she can't get in, no one can get in. Well, the Solicitor General of the United States told the Supreme Court the, this was not window dressing, that they really were, you know, that consular office officers really could grant people waivers. Well, in a separate case, we now have an affidavit of a consular officer saying, no, we're not supposed to grant these waivers. So we actually have, you know, mm. in the final, you know, mm. days and weeks mm-hmm. of this opinion, mm. um, what looks like the Solicitor General potentially misrepresenting um, our policy to the court. Is that before the court? I'm sorry? 
is that before? Is that in front of the court? Is yeah, that yeah, evidence he, in front of the court? Uh, you know, I don't know. I imagine, to be honest, that one of the parties is going to submit it to the court officially. Um, right. you know, as of last week, it's to, in the news. I was yeah. wondering if they were able to get it in in time to affect their deliberations. Unless the decision comes down today, I assume that they will. Mm-hmm. So no idea which way this is going to go. And again, we know that you can never really read by oral arguments how they end up, right? Yeah. So I went to the oral arguments in this case, and I really felt that it comes down to Justice Kennedy. Um, the ah, more cons- shocking. shocking. <laughs> the more conservative wing seemed to think that this was, you know, kind of an easy case of national security powers. Um, the liberals were very suspect of uh, the authority to do this and also the constitutionality. Um, and Kennedy sort of seemed to be in between. Uh, I will say that opponents of the travel ban got a little bit of good news when Kennedy issued a decision in a different case, um, which was the Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, case where yeah, the anti-gay right. baker didn't want to bake the cake. Uh, he basically said, you know, you can't be doing public policy from a place of animus against religion. Um, and all of a sudden, that felt a lot like the travel ban and the arguments in the travel ban, that there was um, public policy being done, uh, but the root of it was animus. And in the in the cake baker case, um, Kennedy came down against that. Uh, I don't know if he'll have the exact same view in the travel ban case. Obviously, it's a different case. Um, but some people did feel that was a hint that he might have been swayed by um, you know, his strong belief in the First Amendment and religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, on the well, Kennedy also is a uh, very central to the reapportionment and gerrymandering because he's written on that before. I think and... you could say that those cases are actually filed with him in mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, absolutely. Hmm. I mean, like I just said, Justice Kennedy, of all the justices, is uh, very dedicated to a robust interpretation of the First Amendment. And so um, the gerrymandering case out of uh, um, Maryland in particular uh, focuses on a First Amendment question, and the Wisconsin case also raises First Amendment problems. And so they are really going straight at Kennedy, getting to peel him away from the other conservatives and bring him over with the liberals to find a sort of constitutional restraint on partisan gerrymandering through the First Amendment. Uh, the First Amendment, how so? Is freedom of speech? or I th- It's interesting. Uh, there is a First Amendment strand of jurisprudence uh, that's little known, um, and it's about retaliation. It's basically saying you can't be retaliated against for your protected activity or speech. And so the argument in Maryland is that when Democrats, this is actually about Democrats' partisan gerrymandering, uh, when they flipped a district from Republican to Democrat, they retaliated against the protected activity of the Republican voters in that district. Uh, And so, you know, that's the argument. Um, But it, it does. It has to do with, you know, free speech, free association, freedom to elect people to represent you. And that all can fall under the umbrella of the ever-expanding First Amendment. Uh, and, and we've talked about this before on the program, and one of the key questions, though, I think, and conundrums may be facing the court is, okay, if we say that this, on the face of it, this is pretty, really, let's take Wisconsin, right? And they did this on North Carolina, too. On the face of it, this is just absolutely outrageous, part clearly partisan uh, drawing of the lines. But then the question is, okay, well, what what is considered a fair and, and reasonable and representational drawing of the lines? And that's never been 
the court is not, and I think that's one thing that people are looking at Kennedy to say that he would even maybe give them some directions is this is what states should do. Yeah, I think that this is what the court has really struggled with. And, you know, again, being what's at, the answer, in other words, what's the fix? Act, right? act, absolutely. And, you know, again, being at oral arguments, no one on that court seemed like they really had an answer that they were trying to get the others to take on. I mean, clearly, um, I it's, think a lot of people are disturbed. A, to tell the, it's on, as one who thinks these, this, uh, I've seen so many examples of this outrageous partisan gerrymandering. I don't know what whether there is one cookie-cutter answer nationwide. I don't think there is. It's probably every state's going to have to deal with it. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, when you have independent, you know, nonpartisan commissions, you know, that has rendered pretty good results. It's working in, Cal- working in California now. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know, but you can't really force states to adopt that. For- states have the power under the Constitution to draw the maps themselves in the, in the way that they want to. And so if if they want to do it on, you know, the lawmakers themselves and, and use partisanship, um, they're allowed to do that to some degree. The question is, is is there ever too much? And I think that, as you just said, the justices, I think they recognize a problem, but they're really struggling on where to draw a line and, you know, what kind of rules they can hand down to the states on this. Two quick, um, two quick little stories. Uh, is When I was working in the California legislature as the chief of staff to a state senator, uh, my first um, uh, little window into reapportionment was uh, they were drawing the lines for for the California legislature, and the chair of the uh, reapportionment committee came into our office. It was just me, chief of staff, and the state senator, and this senator who was in charge of drawing the lines. And he showed the map, and he said, this is your new district. What do you think of it? And we looked at it, uh, and my senator said, you know, uh, I could live with that, except um, I think somebody so-and-so, some other senator lives in this in this part, in this this district. And the other guy said, no. He said, yeah, I've been to his house. I know he lives up there. And so he just picked up his pencil and said, oh, we'll fix that. And erased the line and redraw, redrew the line. Ah, democracy. Democracy, right, right there. Right. That right. was it. That was right. it. It was done. <laughs> so that's that's what happens with these things. That's a great story. Yeah. And the other is, and this actually, the, the lines for the for, for the most part for the California in California were drawn by Congressman Phil Burton, Democrat from San Francisco. Uh, and he would hire a staffer to working with the California committee, this guy, that the chairman I mentioned, uh, to basically draw the lines for the entire state. And when it came up for a vote on the floor of the California legislature, Congressman, I, I remember seeing him, Congressman Phil Burton was standing right in the middle of the floor, <laughs> basically saying, you dare vote against this, <laughs> and you're dead. He didn't, wow. he didn't speak, he didn't say anything, he, just, he would just show up, Coming in from Let Washington and stand there in the middle of the floor, just watching everybody. See how they would vote. So I mean, it was really used to oh, be yeah, and really that, that sounds arch, tame. arch partisan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, you but, know, I mean, you have a lawsuit currently over Ohio's map in which Republicans hold up in a hotel and wouldn't let any Democrats in until the map was finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, at least they were doing it in the Capitol then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So uh, you, you, you just never know. So, so those are those are the two big ones coming up, or the. Yeah, yeah, especially Maryland on the voting front. This is a huge a huge year for voting. Um, there's also a pr- big privacy case about cell phone records. Um, 
and yeah, those are the, and there's a huge, of course, um, labor case. Oh right, right. That hasn't Janus come down case yet. That has not come down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, I I don't think unions should be optimistic about that one. Uh, the, the I know the labor unions. This is one that would really gut the public employee unions. Exactly. Uh, and uh, they're not optimistic about it. There. No, no. They're, I think they're, that they're, especially they're planning for the worst and probably rightfully so, which is sad. Um, uh, so, but back to uh, Justice Kennedy raises the question, of course, of dun, is dun, he going to be here? Yeah. Is he going to be here next session? Right. Exactly. I mean, that's a really good question. There was, I, ha- I the one, I don't have, obviously no one knows the answer. Um, I do know that at the last day of oral arguments, his wife was in the room, uh, in the court. And some people were saying, oh, she, you know, mm-hmm. maybe this is because it's his last oral argument yeah. and she's there to see it. And then other people said, you know, she looks really good. I think she's there to cheer him on and tell him to keep going. So obviously we don't know what this means. Uh, others have reported that he has hired his um, uh, staff for his clerks, yeah. his clerks for the next term. Yes, that's is what that, I have heard. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that doesn't that's a good always s- mean anything, but it, it right. is a good sign. I honestly feel like he is going to stick around. And I have, you know, again, no information. Uh, but I just think that. He knows there are really big cases on things that he cares about. Um, and I think that, you know, he's really part of the action and, you know, you can't control it when you leave. And he is he's the most important justice right now. So last week I had the opportunity to interview uh, Jeff Tubin. Uh, I'm a big fan of his on CNN and in The New Yorker. I think he's one of the sharpest legal minds out there today. And I asked him about Justice Kennedy and his answer was, um, I don't know, but I can say this, that those who um, know are not talking, and those who are talking do not know. <laughs> uh, and I had to laugh at that, because, and I pointed out to him, I said, Jeff, I, I know this sounds like name dropping, but I have to tell you, last week, the week before now, which is true, I was at a cocktail reception where the Chief Justice was present, and I talk to Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, and I asked him that same question. And Jeff said, no, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. And guess what? I got the same answer, <laughs> word for word. <laughs> the, the Chief Justice said to me, all I can tell you is, right, those who know aren't talking and those who don't know. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, anyhow, we don't know. But no, because we're, so. <laughs> right, we're talking. We're uh, talking. So have you seen RBG? I did see it, yeah. It's great, isn't it? It was great. It was wonderful. I have to say, one of the things uh, that was we're so... RBG, we're talking about the documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, yeah. who was asked in that documentary whether or not she's going to stay around. Oh, right, right, right. Why didn't you retire? A lot of people are not happy with her. In fact, Jeff Tubin was very critical of her for not retiring, resigning. Uh, right, back in the, 2013 Back or in so. 2013 or yeah. so, but at least before even 2015, right, before... 2016, even before, so that President Obama, well, in time to nominate somebody and get them confirmed. Of course, we know what happened to Merrick Garland. So. Right, right. I think the hope was, I think people were saying you have to do it before the 2014 midterms in case we, yeah. the Democrats lose the Senate. Yeah. Um, I, I did see the movie. I've, I really, one of the things that was so interesting is, you know, she's she's old now and she's sort of hunched and it's hard to hear her voice. Um, and it was really cool to hear her arguing before the Supreme Court and, you know, as a younger woman um, in the 70s. Uh, you know, just sort of. I was surprised that they then. had those 
the audio, yeah. The audio of all of those uh, arguments that she made. I didn't realize, but there is an audio record of every Supreme Court, well, on recent years, sure. I guess, yeah. right? At yeah, any rate. yeah absolutely. Whenever they started, I don't know. But so you can go back and are they accessible, available? You know, I don't know the answer, but I assume that they are. You know, I, I know that they are because uh, I mean, you can just I, I listen go to that. Google it or whatever. Well, I'm not sure if it's quite that easy, but I know that I listen to a more perfect union or more perfect the podcast from the Radio Lab folks, mm-hmm. and it's all about Supreme Court stuff. They have tons of archival audio that they use. Yeah, you might have to request, including it. RBG audio. Mm. Yeah, no, that was really I thought I thought really wonderful, and they pulled up you know video of her confirmation hearing, and you have this small woman looking oh, up at yeah. a panel of men and telling them why she believes in the right to abortion, for example, um, and you know about her life, and yeah, you know, it just it just felt like out of a different era. She was really feisty in that confirmation uh, in her confirmation hearing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I'm a huge fan. May she live long, 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 long and strong. Well, as you saw, they they showed her workout as well. Yeah, that's right. Great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Have a great day, folks. See you tomorrow. The Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.